Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Thank you. That's the first time, all of the times I've said this, that someone has returned with how are you. I am doing fine. Thank you. Uh, So I saw in the news that Detroit is building a new stadium, uh, but they're keeping it kind of secret and low-key because they're afraid that the Tigers are going to go play there. There you go. Come on. I could have done so many teams, and I chose the Tigers. It was hard to find somebody worse than the Reds. Uh, Okay. Uh, So we are in the I Am series. And in this series, we are talking about who God is, all of the different things that, that he is to us, and how powerful he is, how amazing he is, how he is the God of all time, and then who we are through him. And so today I want to talk about how he is the God of victory. Uh, Sean talked about uh, the faith of that woman and, and how she was given victory. And just through him, we already have that victory and we just go step by step. And so I want to go to Mark 5, 1 through 20. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. Uh, When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. So what we have here is something that none of us have really seen before. And it's an amazing, hard situation, a crazy situation, where this guy had been possessed for a long time. And he had supernatural strength, Uh, he was naked, he was cutting himself, he was doing all kinds of destructive things, he was living among the dead, and in these times, in those times especially, like that was considered unclean. And so all of these things were stacked up there. So people probably started with, oh, you know what, we've got to help him. And then, you know, that didn't work, and so it's like, oh, well, let's, you know, pray for him. And then that didn't work, and then so it's like, oh, let's just kind of keep him over there and stay away from him. And yet when Jesus came, When Jesus came, he ran up to him and he recognized him immediately. He saw immediately who Jesus is. And to us, that makes sense. So we have all been a part of the church for probably most of our lives, or at least long enough to know that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is our Savior, that Jesus is victorious. And we know all of this in everything that we are. We feel all of this in everything that we are. And so we see this. And we jump ahead. And often, you know, I'll tell you, don't jump ahead. But this time, that's fine. But we jump ahead and like, oh, I know how this is going to work out. Jesus is more powerful. Jesus is greater. Jesus is bigger. And all of that is true. But one of the the most amazing things about the Bible is when we put it into the context, his victories are that much greater. So at the time, the superstition, the tradition was that if you knew someone's full name, and you said it, you had power over them. So to us, we're like, wow, this guy, the the demons even recognize Jesus. They even know who he is. To them, to the crowd around, they're like, wow, Jesus lost. Like, this is nuts. And they're starting to to murmur among themselves, and they're starting to be scared, and they're like, he called him Jesus, son of the most high. He said his full name. He's got the power now. 
And it's because they were allowing what they thought to cloud who God is. They were allowing their superstitions. They were allowing, allowing their ideas to be more important to them than what was happening in front of them. To be more important to them than the victory of Jesus. They were just caring about what they saw, what they thought. We go to verse 9. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of this man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. So even here, for us, again, we see that he won. We see what happened. And there's a part I want to focus on in a second. But for the crowd, I want you to feel what they felt. Because they already think that Jesus is losing. They already think that what they think is going to happen is going to happen. And then Jesus asks for the name. And they're like, oh, wait, maybe, maybe there's still a chance. Maybe, maybe something can change. And, you know, Legion's not his actual name. And so they're like, ah, oh, ah. Uh. And plus... A legion of Roman soldiers was about 6,000, so that's a lot. And so all of these things, again, look like they're stacked up against Jesus. All of these things look like they're more powerful, look like they're victorious, look like they're big, look like they're unsurmountable. Or insurmountable is the proper word there. I'm the only one that noticed that. That's fine. <laughs> if I hadn't corrected it, believe me, like in a week I would have been talking to Sean and like, hey. Uh, insurmountable. And yet, we see that, and we're like, what are they doing? Or we hear what I just said, and we're like, how could they think that? But sometimes, even now, as Christians, we go into situations already assuming the result. Now, sometimes we will go in and we will assume, well, I can't win this. I can't overcome this. I can't change this. And so we give up. We don't try, or, or we stop caring, we stop doing what we need to do, or whatever. It's like, ah, oh, there's just no way. I'm never going to get that promotion. I'm never going to get into that school. I'm never going to pass that test. I'm never going to see another World Series. Like, we have all of these things. Come on. We have all of these things. And it's like, I just cannot win. I just cannot do it. And so we stop, and we don't try. Or, the flip side, we go into something thinking like, there's no way I can lose. I'm awesome. Now, it's good to have self-confidence, I assume. I'm awesome. There's no way this is going to be a problem. There's no way that I'm going to have trouble with this. And then trouble happens. Because we didn't try hard enough, or because we didn't really do anything, because it's like, ah, it doesn't matter. Uh, there's a saying in football that, the prevent defense at the end of a game is basically a way to lose the game. Where like if you're ahead by a lot and you start playing prevent, which I'm not going to get into the particulars, but basically you're kind of spread out just trying to prevent the long-term thing, the long pass. People will kind of chip away at it and win. A few years ago, uh, the Falcons were in the Super Bowl and they were up like 28-3 to on the Patriots and the Patriots came back. And I know nobody likes to hear Patriot good stories, but it happened. Thank you. Uh, and so we sometimes are like, ah, I don't have to try. I'm already a Christian. 
I'm already saved. What does it matter what I live like? What does it matter what I do? I, I don't have to do anything. And so both of those things can happen so often. And, and we look at Jesus here. And he asked the name not to play into the superstition because he didn't care about that. He already knew God's power. He already knew the ultimate victory. But he asked it so that everyone, all of us, all of them, could see what he's up against, what we're up against. See more than that, what we can overcome through him, through faith, through effort, through giving our lives to him, and see what it is possible to overcome. And we see all of these things, like I said, many versus one. Knowing the name versus not knowing the name. Uh, being the favorite versus not being the favorite. All of these things the crowd is focused on at the time. Just like sometimes we focus on the wrong things. And I think that sometimes if we read this scripture, we might think, oh, the poor pigs. It's sad. And, you know, we think about the farmer and all of that is good. And Jesus, it's not that Jesus doesn't care about the pigs or doesn't care about the farmer, but... He allowed it to happen so that people could see the destructive power that was against them. Because sometimes, again, we can talk ourselves into not great things. Because short term, it's happiness. Short term, it feels good. Short term, it's victory. And so Jesus is like, guys, this is where it leads. But more than that, and this is the big part, and this is the amazing part, and this is the cool part, and not to step on the next series, but this is the miraculous part. The demons had to ask permission even to get into the pigs. What that tells us is that literally nothing, literally no one, literally no situation can stand against Jesus. Nothing, absolutely nothing can touch us through him. Now, does that mean that we're never going to be sad or we're never going to be hurt or we're never going to lose people or lose things? Of course not. But it means that we have that victory that we turn to him, we look to him, we allow him to guide us, and we feel that victory. Again, for us, we can stop there and see, oh, there's his total victory. This is a good message, like it's positive, and, and we love Jesus, and that's awesome. Going to verse 14. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, uh, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Uh, then those who had seen what happened told the others of the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. And let me repeat that sentence because it's shocking and twisting. And the crowd pleaded with Jesus to go away and to leave them alone. It is insane that the crowd turned against Jesus for saving someone's life, for winning, for being victorious. And we see that. And from our perspective, it's like, what in the world? How bad is this world that people turned against him? I would imagine that most of the people in the crowd were faithful people. And they turned against him because it shattered their views. It shattered their expectations. It shattered how they thought things should go. It shattered how they thought Jesus should do things. Because sometimes when we say, have your way, God, we kind of mean secretly, you know, have my way, but in your name. All of us do that from time to time. 
And this crowd is doing that. They're like, well, yeah, he won, but he shouldn't have. Come on, he, he hit a three at the buzzer. That barely counts. And yet, that's what happened. He won. And they just felt so strongly. Because sometimes we are more interested in appearing right or being right than in helping others or than living right. I saw something on social media the other day. Nobody in Ohio, so don't worry about it. Someone had posted uh, just a you know, brief message, and it was on Facebook. I'm still old enough to be on Facebook. I don't do TikTok. Although I'm going to try to talk Sean into doing a TikTok. That'd be cool. Uh, and it said, it was somebody posting and they were happy. It's like, I have been clean and sober for a month. Now I hope that we hear that and we're like, that's awesome. They, they found help. But the first comment, the first comment was, well, you shouldn't have started anyway. And then it continued with, you know, one month, but you should only celebrate when you're at a year or two years or whatever. It's horrible. Because being clean and sober, of course we know that we shouldn't make bad choices, but after we do, asking for forgiveness, admitting that we were wrong, that's the way to live. That's what Jesus calls for. And yet, this person was so interested in what they thought it should look like that they just shattered the other person's view of everything. I have no idea what the battle was like for that person, but I could imagine it was pretty strong, and I would imagine that it took a while, and I imagine it was several steps. And they were trying. And yet it wasn't enough. Because the person that commented had their idea of what it should look like, and you should not make mistakes, or you should not make mistakes publicly. And yet, how would Jesus come in? I think we know, because we know the story of the lost sheep, and we know everything about Jesus. He would comment by saying, that's awesome. Keep following me. I love you so much. This is a big win. Let's keep going. And that's what we should do. But the people around Jesus at the time when he did the possession thing, the exorcism, and the people that posted negatively on this person and all the people in the world that sometimes do that, they want it their way. Their way more than anything else. But you see, we're not here for our way. This isn't our church. This is God's church, and we are living a life to show him, to glorify him, to show the victories that we have. And sometimes we're able to proclaim these amazing, huge victories. Sometimes we mess up, and we need grace, and we need help, and we need someone to pray for us, and we need somebody to forgive us. And Jesus provides that through his victory. There's one more part of this scripture. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. 
So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told him. So just to contrast, the first, like I think when I first read that, the herdsmen went around telling everybody, we were like, yeah, of course they did. But they were telling everybody, "Ah, this Jesus guy, he didn't do things the right way. But this man, the man who had suffered, the man who had been in pain, the man who was relieved, the man who was saved, all he saw was Jesus. All he saw was Jesus' love. All he saw was Jesus' grace. And so that's what he talked about. And he ran around telling everyone. And he wanted to follow him. He wanted to go with him because he knew that being near Jesus means something special. And just like nothing can stand against him. When we see or feel that example of Jesus, there's nothing like it. There is nothing like it in the entire world. And so he wanted that. And Jesus is like, hey, you can do so much good here. Tell your story. And so he did. And I would imagine that he touched a lot of lives. I would also imagine that there were people that said, well, you shouldn't have gotten possessed in the first place. But this man, who was given the victory through Jesus, He saw that victory, and he proclaimed that victory. Victory can look different for different people. Sometimes there can be a big victory that's hard fought, and we've worked a long time, and we've been healed or delivered or or taught, taught the lesson, whatever. And someone else may jump right to that, and they're like, oh, you know, I get this, and that's awesome. That doesn't devalue or overvalue either of them. Because each of us have certain strengths and each of us have a a, a specific walk to our lives. But each of us also have the same Jesus. The God of victory. Who gives every single one of us victory. And unfortunately others may not share in your victory. They may not care what you've been through. They may think that you didn't do it the right way. They may think that you're not good enough. Whatever. They may not see you. They may only see your past, or they may only see what you've done, or they may only see what you look like, or they may only see whatever. But God sees you. You see, even us, as I started the story, we saw the demon-possessed man, and we see what he's afflicted with, and that's true. But Jesus saw the soul. He saw the man. He saw the heart, and he knew that he was worth saving. More than that, he knew he could be saved. Everyone can be. Does that mean that everyone will be? Of course not. Because we have free will and people make stupid choices or people get egotistical or whatever. But everyone can be. Because Jesus is there and he died for us to have this. I have a quote about victory, I hope. Yes, okay. So the great victory which appears so simple today, was the result of a series of small victories that went unnoticed. So often, could you leave it up there for just a second? So often, when I'm preparing and I'm praying, I'm thinking, like, how do I want to emphasize this? Obviously, I start with the Bible. And I'm like, is there anything that kind of goes with this? And so I'll run Google searches, because Google's awesome. 
and I found, like I just kind of looked up victory quotes, and I just read through them and, and prayed, and like what feels like God speaking to me through this quote. And so I always also look up the name so that I'm not accidentally quoting like Charles Manson or something. And, and this guy, and I'm not even going to try to say his name, uh, he was a Catholic, and uh, he was also a reporter, and he, uh, way back in the day, kind of went against the traditions a little bit. Like, he thought, hey, we can do this a different way. And from whatever his specific church, not the whole denomination or not the whole religion, his specific church kicked him out, and, and they didn't like him, and he was ostracized, and all of these things. And I think for a lot of people, and maybe even him for a time, it'd be like, well, I don't care about the faith anymore. But he kept trying, and he kept trying, and he's back in the church today. And so to him, this quote was a life. And to say that the great victory, and the great victory, we can all picture what is a great victory to us. We can all picture what we need, what we want in our lives. And so often, we think about that, and we look at that, and we put that on the calendar, or we put that on a whiteboard on a refrigerator. That's specific to me. And it's like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be here. But it doesn't just magically happen. Like, we don't just appear there. And we don't notice the little steps of progress, the little victories. But it is so important to also notice those small victories, those small steps, because they add up to something great. Because through Jesus, everything is possible. And the world may not notice. Other people may not notice. But he does. And sometimes it's a big one and there's no looking back. And we get it. Sometimes it's a lot of small ones. And it takes a long time. Sometimes others don't notice our battle. Sometimes others don't care about our battle. Sometimes we don't even notice our progress. But God always does. He always sees us, and he's always with us, and he's always guiding us. He sees you. More than that, he promises, he guarantees to be there for each step. He gives us several victories. And again, it doesn't mean that our life's going to be easy. I wish that it was. But it means that he's going to be with us and help it to be possible and help us each day and help us in each battle. Could we go back to the title slide for a second? So I am a big IU fan. I know, shocking. <laughs> wow, I didn't know that about you. Next, you're going to tell me you like Spider-Man. Okay. Do you have a niece, by the way? Uh, this moment... is one of the most important moments in my life. And I'm going to explain that in a second as I go. That's why I'm talking. That's Christian Watford, number two. And he is beating number one ranked Kentucky at the buzzer. And that's always a good thing. That's always a good victory because boo, Kentucky. Sorry, Megan. Boo. <laughs> You're not allowed to boo the pastor, sorry. But he hit that shot. And it was so exciting, I would imagine. I didn't see it. I didn't see it because that entire weekend I was staying in the nursing home as my great-grandmother was passing. 
She was also a big IU fan. Man, she was also a big IU fan. And so we listened on the radio. Yes, those existed. This was December 10th, 2011. It was her last day on this earth. She passed away the next morning. And so I didn't see that victory. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. People may not see your victory, but God does. But more than that, from the outside, there are people that see an old 93-year-old woman unconscious for a weekend passing and think, oh, she lost. She lost the battle. But she was the reason I'm in church. She took me in at 13 months old, and the very first Sunday, she made sure I was there. And every Sunday and every Wednesday, I was there. It was not a, I don't feel like going. It was like, you're going. And she was passing. And it's easy for me to sometimes focus on that weekend or sometimes focus on that last year where the Alzheimer's had really taken a lot. But I stopped myself. And God helps me to see the other 92 years. Not a perfect life, but a life that led to an ultimate victory. And so where others see that as loss, and it felt like loss to me, she was winning a lifelong victory in Jesus, and now she's in heaven and doesn't have to deal with that stuff. And so in my office, I have this autographed picture, autographed by Christian Watford. And I had it framed, and it fell down. And so I put it behind my desk. And this has been three years or so. I don't know how long I've been here. It's been a while. And this is the part where you're going to laugh at me, but that's okay. So I was sitting at my desk, and I was reading, because there was a little bit of time before I had to do something else. And I put my feet up on my desk. Now, you may not be in desk chairs very often, but they have wheels on them. (laughs) Also, they don't. Lean, thank you. Also, they don't lean back as far as you'd think. And so I leaned back, and then I didn't stop leaning back, and I slammed into that framed picture, and it shattered. And my first thought was embarrassment because Anne was there, and like I think Jackie ran in and was like, hey, are you okay? And that's a very embarrassing story that I haven't told most of you until right now. And I looked at the picture before I got up, and it was scraped, and I felt... Oh, man, I ruined everything. This one stupid moment, this one stupid loss, this one mistake has ruined everything. But that's just a picture. That didn't erase my memory of that moment. That didn't erase my great-grandmother's life. That didn't erase what that means to me. And it's still in my office, and it's still scratched, and it's not framed yet because I'm afraid of it. But it's still a symbol of victory to me. Because of what God did through my imperfect grandmother. Because, what have he, what, because of what he does through a very imperfect me. Sometimes we have those moments where we feel like this ruins everything. This stops everything. I can't do it anymore. I cannot win now. It's too embarrassing. It's too hard. I've lost too much. And yet, 
That is just a moment. It doesn't erase the pain. But God is bigger than that. God is bigger than that. And he can help us to overcome all of those things. Because with God, we never truly lose. Yes, we sometimes lose people, and yes, maybe things, and yes, even memories. But we never truly lose because the ultimate victory is coming, because he is with us, because he is in us. I have one more scripture. And this is from my favorite book in the Bible. Revelation 19, 19 through 20. I am talking about possession and revelation in the same day, so we'll see how this goes. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. This is the setup to Armageddon. Now, I'm not going to go all the way through Revelation, although I love it and I've read it a ton and I've written a curriculum about it and I've got all this stuff. But it's a big, deep book and I get that. But this scripture, we see that and it's like, oh, battle. Everybody knows about the battle of Armageddon. Even if you're scared of Revelation, you know that it's something that happens. And so let me reread this. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. Armies of the world. Set up for battle. Set up for war. Set up for carnage. Set up for craziness. Whatever it is you're thinking. The next verse. The very next verse. Not a passage later. Not a chapter later. The very next verse. And the beast was captured. And with him, the false prophet who did mighty miracles on his behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue, both the beast and the false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The armies of evil. Jesus. One sentence. That is how long anything can stand against him. See, I love Revelation, and I love going through it, and I love thinking about it, but the battle, the greatest battle, the thing that we all talk about, didn't even last one line. I mean, numbers is like a million lines of numbers, and this battle didn't even last one line. You see, nothing can stand against God, nothing. And we have already won the big one. We've already got the great victory. We've already accepted what is going to happen. It's already happened. So now we go through to win the small victories. Now we go through step by step. Now we go through to help people. Now we go through with that knowledge of victory to show people who we are. To show people who we serve. To show people why we serve. Not to diminish their lives. Not to diminish what they do. Not to compare them to us. But to show them the ultimate victory. Because nothing can stand against Jesus for even a line. Nothing. I have one more quote. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Paul wrote that. Paul was on both sides of things. And yet once he accepted that victory, he knew in his heart, that overwhelming victory of Jesus, and he lived it. He was not perfect, and he went through trials, and he went through tribulations, but he lived it. You are not perfect, 
I am absolutely not perfect. But Jesus' victory is. Jesus is. And we have that. Imagine going into any sporting contest, or imagine, that sounded like I don't watch sports. Imagine going into anything, going into your first job interview, knowing that you're already going to retire a millionaire. Imagine going into a relationship, knowing that it's going to glorify God and just be perfect. Imagine going into school, knowing that you're going to be on the honor roll and magna cum laude and all that stuff. Imagine going into a season, knowing the Bengals are going to win the Super Bowl no matter what. Some of those were less believable, but still. Imagine that. Imagine knowing going into something that it's already over. That's what we get to do. We're going into life and we're facing trials and we're facing tribulations, but we've already won. Overwhelming victory through him is already ours. It is a hard life. And it is a discouraging life. And it's easy to, to look at the news or look at politics or look at the world and think, ah, how? overwhelming victory is already ours. It doesn't mean we're not going to feel sadness. It doesn't mean we're not going to have trouble along the way, but it means we already have that, and so we live with that assurance, and we take that assurance to each person, and we see them, and we show them love and mercy and grace, and we show them Jesus, because that is what we are called to do. Because we are victorious in him. That's all I got.